0: Welcome to SRG Offscript, the podcast where experts at Succession Resource Group unpack the latest industry trends, recommendations, and observations for independent advisors managing their practice. No fluff and a little entertainment. In each episode, we'll discuss ways in which you can understand and leverage the value of your business, grow your business through M&A, but also through an optimized organizational structure, improve and protect your business to create a sustainable enterprise that can hopefully outlast you, and lastly preparing for your eventual retirement, and how to maximize that result. So, we encourage you to listen in with whatever beverage suits your preference, and let's get to the forefront of industry trends with a fresh perspective to help you achieve your business goals. Your practice is up and running like a well-oiled machine, and you are intent on the next level of growth. Fantastic! But have you thought about the people you will need... To make that happen? David Grau and his guest John Randall think about it, and they talk about it a lot. Next generation advisors. Where are they? And what do you do when you find them? Well, David and John have some thoughts. All right. Well, happy to have everyone joining us here today. Uh, most importantly, because I've got a really esteemed guest who I have known, had the pleasure of working with uh, both actually as a client at one point mm-hmm, uh, when he yeah. sold his business, surprisingly, but also on a more regular basis on the coaching. I hate to even call you a coach, frankly, because yeah, there are connotations and stigmas I think people have with you know coaches and accountability. And I don't doubt that you probably do that, too. But it's also more about the consulting expertise and acumen you have. So joining me here today is John Randall of Extraordinary Financial Advisors. He is a fantastic advisor, for sure, uh, because we did help him sell his business many. many. How many years ago was that,
1: John? Gosh, it's been about uh, probably about seven now.
0: Okay. And you were coaching even when you were running your practice, though. Yeah, I've
1: been coaching advisors for 20 years now. So really, when I moved to North Carolina here, it kind of opened up. The doors to start doing that. And it's been fun. I gravitated towards it and uh, it's time to get out of my practice.
0: And I know obviously even 20 years ago, you probably had lots of great expertise to share because you've had lots of great mentors and folks you've worked with and your own successes, but you've also been kind of professionally trained for lack of a better term. Is that a fair statement? I mean, you got some credentials, right?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I've been not only a student of our industry, but how to get better. And uh, I've got every coaching destination I could and just about done my Ph.D. in performance psychology, which I'll have in uh, early 2024.
0: Well, I have no doubt you're going to have that here soon. So I'll give you a little early (laughs) congratulations. But yeah, thank you. Frankly, designations are not, John's just one of the more successful and just insightful folks, that is it's kind of funny because, you know, John, we end up preferring business back and forth and getting Mm -hmm. to talk to a lot of the same people without even trying to have alignment. We just have because we both, I think, sort of, you know, coach, consult towards the same end goal. And that is, I mean, not just helping advisors grow their business. Yes. Go figure. We all want that for everybody, ourselves included. But more importantly, building building businesses and not just practices like, yes, there's I don't say there's lots because there's not, but there's there's a handful of folks that can go help you as an advisor listening, get more clients, get more AUM, CPA referral programs, and those things are important. I get it. Your revenue, AUM, is the lifeblood of your business. Revenue is the lifeblood of anybody's business, frankly. But at the same time, assuming you got those basics covered, and John can probably speak to that too, but at that point then, it's also about going to the next level. How do we shift gears? You know, the old saying, what got you here won't get you there. Yeah. Well, Our conversations generally focus in and around the getting their part, like how do we shift from the practice to a business? And so the topic I was most excited to talk with you about today, because it just it's getting more time and attention in the airwaves, the trade publications. Michael Kitsis is great about helping talk about it, but it still doesn't get talked about a lot. And that is next gen advisors. Like how how do you find them? Where do you find them? If you're not going to find them, how do you grow them and train them? Like that's just It's not easy. It brings in recruiting elements, training elements, systems and processes, which I know we're all great at as small business owners. (laughs) But also, you know, the mentoring and training, investing in the next gen, compensation plan design. We all love compensation with our team members. It's a joy, I know. Every year you get to talk about it. But those are really tough things. And it's funny because I see advisors who have brought in great team members, like they're, however, they've hired, recruited, it has worked, but then they end up screwing up the compensation structure where it is a very sort of siloed compensation structure and they can't figure out why they can't get the behaviors to match what they want. And so it's interesting then to see all these things kind of all circling around the same subject matter and in a graying industry. I mean, the average advisor now, I think the youngest source I've seen cited is like 55 years old. I would tell you statistically, having been in these rooms and looked at the data ourselves, I mean, it's probably late 50s at this point. Like,
1: I agree. I agree. We're not getting I mean, younger. I, I started in 1999. It's been, you know, 24 years. And for 24 years, I still feel like <laughs> one of the youngest people in the room. I, there's not many younger ones. It's that hiring frenzy kind of froze. And now practices are trying to figure out you know, we need more advisors, yeah. we need more people to help here. And how do we get them? So it's such a great topic, because it's one of the biggest needs that that we see in practices. And it's one of the biggest gaps, too, because yeah. we all learned how to be advisors and how to help clients, but we didn't really learn how to build a team or to lead people. <laughs> it's it's a different skill, but it's a necessary skill if you really want to grow a practice.
0: Yeah, I do love you pointing out the distinction because you know we'll say in presentations, you know, This presentation is not about working in the business, which you're great at. It's about working on the business. Well, I mean, that sounds great. But to your point, they I mean, you have had training as an advisor. You get licenses, you get designations. There are training programs, or at least there used to be training programs as an advisor, taking care of clients, sourcing business, managing the investments. I have yet to see a firm that really has like a dedicated business owner training program. And you and I both know, like you might not like putting that hat on very often, but it's a hat that you wear, whether you like it or not as an independent advisor, but there's no training in and around that topic.
1: There, there really isn't. I can, I know many examples of people that suddenly became a business owner and well, it felt (laughs) the same, right? I was still an advisor and met with clients when I was an employee versus it's, it feels kind of the same, but Yeah, those are the gaps. I see the good advisors, the faster-growing practices. They're seeking this stuff. They're looking for, hey, how can I learn? How can I learn those skills? And they learn from others. Of course, they learn from you know great people like you and these podcasts. And it's a, it's important to go out and learn because uh, again, no one ever taught us this stuff. But if we're going to run a business, we need to know it.
0: And again, something I think everyone listening knows to really run and grow a business. It it is great to have clients and revenue, of course, but you, you can't. Grow and scale a business without a team. You know, as much as you may love it or hate it, it's you know, it has its ups and its downs. Building a team isn't easy. It's not easy to find good talent. It's not easy once you have found it to train them up and then to keep them. So I'm curious from your perspective, John, just to start you know a little bit of dialogue back and forth with us. The idea of, you know, building out a robust team that can serve your clients well, allow you to mentor and train and prepare the next gen, because Again, we know everyone listening, we're all leaving the industry at some point. (laughs) Horizontally or vertically, we know it's coming. So how do we make sure that if that unexpected exit comes or the planned one, like there's somebody ready and willing to take that thing over? And it's beautiful in this industry that if that plan A fails with the internal succession, pretty much always a plan B. Like there's such a robust market, at least today, to buy the practice It's a nice safety net, but I'm a huge proponent of building your internal succession plan as plan A, but that requires you to have good people. So my initial prompt question for you is what are your thoughts on recruiting your next-gen talent and your successors, said another way, because they will be hopefully at some point, as opposed to like hiring them out of college, training them up. I mean, it's a long road to hoe. What do you consult your clients on? I mean, it seems like most want the easy button of just John, can you just go recruit me somebody, 25, 30 million assets, maybe with their CFP under 35 years old? Like, wh- How do you guide clients through that process?
1: Yeah, you you nailed it. Uh, I was talking to a large practice we work with uh, just yesterday, and okay. uh, they have a couple billion AUM. They're doing a great job, and they really recognize, you know what? Our best advisors that do the best job, they're the ones that have been there for a while who we homegrown. We invested in them, we didn't make many, you know, any money on them, they weren't ready to be an advisor, they worked behind the scenes, then we kind of got them to do easy things with clients, we <laughs> gave them some small clients, and then now they're crushing it, they're working with seven figure clients, they're selling them stuff, they're getting referrals, they're the stars and they look at people they recruited and they're kind of the same. So yes, it's a quick <laughs> fix to say, hey, I need someone now, I have an acquisition, I need help to service it. It's a great dangle to get people in, but it's more expensive, it's more work and most are willing to do it. But I tell you, in the long term, the best advisors are the ones that you home grow, you invest in, they understand what you do, your firm's ways, your culture. And again, most people aren't willing to do it, but <laughs> if you can invest the time into this, oh my gosh, they will be your biggest stars. And I find too the best heir parents.
0: And so I heard you mention, you know, it's, it's more expensive. G- give me your thoughts on that. Cause I think about having personally hired and trained relatively raw talent i don't take anything away from them because they showed up with the you know acumen to learn the work ethic you're not going to fix or train that but they showed up you know with no knowledge let's say in our case on valuations or mergers and acquisitions or succession planning and so we home grew pretty much all of our talent but from my perspective as opposed to going out hitting the easy button and just trying to hire somebody who's already an expert m&a consultant to me that almost seems like the more expensive option but i heard your comment you know And I've heard it from advisors, too, which is why I go back to it, that trying to hire somebody out of college, paying them a salary when they're not contributing anything, John. That's that's not worth it.
1: Yeah, it's the time, right? It's many years until they're active working with clients. Maybe it's five years until they're in that space. You just add a cumulative. what What am I paying this person for all these years until they become really profitable for the firm? That's the only reason it's It's more expensive and it's just much more time consuming. Sometimes if an advisor who's already experienced, yes, if they're, you know, we'll talk about comp a little bit, but if they're paying, being paid more of like a salary or something like that, yeah, yeah, they're gonna yield a pretty large one. But if they're bringing over a book, maybe they have a small book, you needed to come in and service a big book, you know, in a lot of ways they can kind of help pay for themselves if they're bringing over right. something. So sometimes their recruits are not as expensive if you factor that in, but right. it's just, it's the time. you add up you know it takes three years five years however in your firm it's going to take to get someone up and running that's the difficult part you know can your firm really last and sustain those years until you really have the need for someone else to help service clients or you know another advisor in your team to service clients
0: so unpack that for me a little bit if you would on the first couple of years because i again i know from our perspective having the first couple of years mentoring and training and shadowing and how wholly inefficient It is to have two people in a room when you only need one who's doing all the talking anyway. But for an advisor listening who's historically tried to find the unicorn, they want the producer to come over, join the team that can service clients and grow a book from day one and is (laughs) net neutral. Well, the other firms that you and I both know, because we've worked with a handful of these firms that they bring interns in. I mean, sometimes unpaid, sometimes paid. But again, they're pretty green at that point. All the way through you know actually being able to sit down with maybe a c and d client, but they can sit down with a client solo, like what do the first couple of years look like? I mean you've lived this, which is why I go back to you you know you you
1: you said something that was really powerful that the shadowing. humans learn best by seeing you know we you think about learning a sport like let's say golf if you never played golf you didn't know how to swing a golf club you could read about it in a book and have a you know phd and how it works and never physically do it but when you watch somebody do it and you mimic them you'll learn so much more faster than just reading about it so that's where the rubber hits the road talking to the clients it's the most important thing that happens also the most time-consuming thing that happens (laughs) in a practice so the more they can learn that the better, but also the learning is big. Something I'll do with, with owners is remind them, remember when you started as an advisor, how much time did you spend in training? Oh my gosh, it was you know X number of hours a week I was in training. Okay, so what are you doing for your new advisors? Well, we have a 30-minute one-on-one, but I missed the last two because I was busy. <laughs> and, and so that you can kind of help them see their, their own gaps that you've got to recreate like almost what some of these advisors that started many years ago what did they have because there was really good training and uh, you know all through the 90s there was a big hiring frenzy and firms had awesome, awesome training. And there's some really great advisors that started around that era. And you you look at uh, just the time. I mean, that's really what it was. It's taking the time to invest in them. So shadowing is big, but the best firms I see, they have like training classes, whether it's case studies or whatever skills it is for the advisor to learn. They've got time every week dedicated to this. They got individual time to help them. Those are the best ones. The best ones are actually stopping and investing in people so i i didn't make this up i learned this from somebody else that (laughs) when you invest in people right you make a monetary investment in a salary or an, an employer cost to hire somebody well then you have to invest in the people (laughs) <laughs> which is time in development right so that's really where you can get the biggest return on the monetary investment and the more time and energy you put into them that's how you generate a much bigger return and it's it's hard to see that especially when we you know make that monetary investment whether it's your you know first big one or you know it's your 11th one whatever it might be it's, it's a monetary investment <laughs> and we just kind of expect that people will just do it but that's where we really got to invest time and get them up and running fast
0: well, I love that you use the word invest because, it. I mean, on the front end, it will probably just seem like you're spending money and not getting a lot in return for it. It is, because, yeah. Frankly, much. you're not. But there, there's an old saying, and probably most people listening have heard that, but it's the proverbial CFO talking to the CEO. You know, what happens if we invest in our people and they leave us? To which the CEO responds, what if we don't and they stay? Like, <laughs> I mean, you think about it, because it does suck to go, because we've had advisors who they've hired us to put their employment agreements together. And usually because they paid for somebody's CFP training, they sat for the CFP, they failed the first time, they passed the second time. And then six months later, somebody hired their person away and they left and, you know, thanks, appreciate it, all the investing that you did. That is frustrating. I get it. But again, the alternative is you don't invest in them and they stay for a very long time is so much worse, frankly. So wow. what are you seeing? I mean, I know one of the challenges we, we talk about this stuff a lot with advisors conceptually at conferences and at, you know, meetings. Where are you seeing your clients have success actually finding talent? Like how in the heck are they doing it? Is it Craigslist at this point? Are they going to FPA chapter meetings? Like, it's a Great any question.
1: You, you mentioned this earlier. What, one of the best uh, talent streams is interns. Yeah. Um, I, I was lucky. I, I that's how I started in the business. I had yeah. I begged someone to let me work for them for free just so I could learn. And finally they said yes. I had let's see. I had 36 interns here in North Carolina where I had my practice. And oh my gosh, our best people came from that. They're awesome. And it's a great it's it's a great pipeline of talent. What's what's nice about an internship is it's usually a finite period of time. So if they're not very good, it ends. If they are good, you can ask them to come back and maybe hire them upon graduation. So it's a nice way to kind of try people out. That's been, I look at a lot of practices that have really great talent. A lot of them started, you know, really from scratch as as interns. Outside of that, I mean, a lot of advisors out there are uh, kind of neglected. You know, there's not as much, you know, leadership structure in firms like there was. You know, I reference like back in the 90s, just, you know, when I started, there was a lot of leaders, right? Firms invested a lot in in people. And, you know, as now as they're publicly traded, they can't do a lot of that. They're trying to stay trim, stay profitable. And there's just not as much. So there's a lot of lone wolf advisors out there. That's probably the second best spot I've seen that, okay, Okay. you know, they've got some experience. They're out there. They're, I mean, they're easy to, to grab. So a lot of them just want to be part of a team. They want to grow, but it's hard to when they're out on their island. So FPA meetings are helpful. It's just anywhere yeah. where you can get help. I tell you, one of the best sources of advisor referrals is product wholesalers. They're around, yeah. I mean, their job is to talk to lots of advisors every week. I mean, they, they know yeah. tons of them. So sometimes they can kind of, you know, help make a, you know, secretly make an introduction. Like, gosh, this person is kind of a lone wolf. They're really looking for a team. They're, I think they're a really good advisor. They might be a fit for, you know, this team. That's probably that's one of the best talent sources that for an existing advisor. So that's probably the two best I see. Interns really starting that to to attract some talent. If you're going to go the home run route, if not, work your wholesalers like crazy. Constantly talk to them about who do you know, who can we help find a better home. Yeah. They, they do a great job making intros.
0: It's funny you mentioned the wholesalers because we we mentioned that when folks talk about trying to find practices to acquire. Ooh, where, yeah. you know, where, where do I find these deals? Uh, yeah, go to the FPA chapter meetings. Go to, if you're with a broker dealer, go to their meetings. Even if there's nothing on the agenda that you care about, go to the meetings, stand in the back of the room, look for the advisors with the whitest hair or the least amount of hair and go sit by them. Yeah. Well, same thing on the wholesaler side with recruiting, it sounds like. I mean, they're kind of the the advisor's bartender. Like, they talk to everybody. They know a little bit about everybody and where they're at in their careers and lives. So, yeah, I'm not surprised to hear you say that. Surprised because yeah. I haven't heard anybody else mention it in that context. But, yeah, based on the stuff I've seen on MA connections, to your point, and between firms, like, again, they're very. Yeah. You know, cautious about doing that, of course.
1: They, they are. I mean, they, they'll have to like secretly do it a lot, but right. all they do is talk to advisors all yeah. day, every week. I mean, they're, they they know yeah. these people and they know who's looking for somewhere else to go and they know who the lone wolves are and they know who's looking to sell, you know, to your point. So yeah. they're awesome, awesome resources. You know, there's other, you can go to other professionals and, yeah. you know, parents of kids at school. I mean, there's all kinds of other ways, but that's probably the best one. That's the quickest path to someone just because their access is unprecedented. Right. And they
0: know. Yeah. So you mentioned interns, which I couldn't agree more, have had success with them. I've known lots of clients that have had success with them. But my guess is when you as listeners are hearing this on the podcast, you're thinking, oh, you know, we've only got, you know, 100 million, 200 million in AUM or, you know, four or five million in revenue. Like, we're not big enough to have interns. Who do you see using interns? I mean, is big firms, small firms. And how do you define big? Like, who's no, doing it?
1: All of the above do. Huh? And I I find it location-based. You know, my wife and I moved to North Carolina in 2004 to live in a college town where where my wife's brother uh, played baseball, was living. We just fell in love with this place. It's a great feel here. So there's a giant 30,000-plus student university, like literally two and a half miles from where my office was. So it was easy. And I find practices that have access to universities, educational institutions. It's a little bit easier for them to get interns if, if you don't have that that or just you know not in a place that they have that's probably a deciding factor but I've seen like very small producers. That's like their first hire Uh as a part-time intern is their first help. I've seen extremely, extremely large, you know, Barron's top 100 practices have, you know, multiple interns every semester or over the summer. So it's really all of the above. So I I just think it's probably more of geography or who has access to universities is, is, you know, it's easier if they're right there. But keep in mind that not everyone, a lot of schools are more virtual now. Not everyone is going to stay and live where they go to school they might you know go to school in another you know state then they they grow up and they Mm -hmm. might come back home which is your town and they might be available for the summer to do an internship so don't let that discourage you but it sure is darn easy if there's you know some school somewhat close to you that makes it easy to access
0: people and where again just knowing that you have done this and known clients of yours who have done this like where do they start i mean you just start go prowling around the campus at night or do you contact the careers office like
1: yeah there's it's so much better than it than it was when i started doing it you know almost almost 20 years ago there is yes they have like websites now for the students that can go on you can list internships they can find you it's so much easier you don't have to like Post stuff on a, a cork board or something like that. <laughs> so, something I did that helped me get get known is I volunteered to speak at our local university to some of the the finance yeah. students every year, and that really helped. You know, at first I kind of grinded to find the first one, and yep. and then I used them to help me find the next one. That made it easy. But once I went to speak, it was I went from scraping to try and find someone to. I would speak and have 10 students say, hey, I really want to be an intern. I, I know so-and-so who's, yeah. you know, two years ahead of me. They enjoyed their internship experience. So it really changed the game to do, you know, something. They'll, they'll gladly listen to people in the industry. And whether it's like a club, some universities have like clubs for people want to yeah. be in the financial industry or, or an actual class, they they sometimes they want people in the industry local to go and speak. That, that was probably the best thing, just volunteering, doing yeah. that. I just did it once a year and it, it helped me just get known and suddenly. I got a lot more candidates
0: than just you know a, a posting yeah okay When well, it, it's funny having heard your story of you know soliciting yourself to be basically an unpaid intern having to I mean I beg literally but you know try to seek <laughs> I that guy, I out begged, I begged.
1: <laughs> they said no many times
0: <laughs> and so to hear that versus you know where kids coming out of college now are I was a professor at you know Willamette where I did my graduate degree years ago and I you know this industry I, I work in, I love it. I think it's a tremendous opportunity for younger people coming out of college, like no brainer. Yeah, hard to get established, but once you are, you'll never look back. And so I would talk to these graduate students coming out and it was an MBA P professional program. So they're you know a little further along in their careers. They're not 25, 26 years old. yeah But I tell you with the compensation systems in our industry, Basically, the only ones that were interested in pursuing the financial services industry were the ones who couldn't go teach English in Korea, like as a fallback. Like it was bottom of the bottom of the choices. But I think we're getting better as an industry. And I know you work with a lot of advisors who they have job descriptions. They have career tracks. They might even have pay bands, but they actually have like, yeah, they have real compensation systems. Not, yeah. you know, John, if you come over, I'll give you some clients to get you started, and you get a thirty percent payout, and then you build your book, or you're out of here. Yeah. What are you seeing on on that topic? I know it's a lot to bite off, but
1: yeah, no, it is. But it, this hits it probably the the biggest mistake um, yeah. that practices make is is a lot of like current owners or advisors out there listen. They want the next gen to be just like them. And it's not going to happen. And you can't tell the stories of the hell you went through. I walked uphill both ways to the office, (laughs) barefoot in the snow. And, you know, they're living a different journey, right? I mean, other generations are different. So, you know, for for you listening, the generations before you thought that you were an idiot. <laughs> and as you look at, you know, younger generations, I hear all the time, oh, millennials, this or, you know, Gen Z that, you know what, they're far more evolved as humans than, you know, some of you say I'm a Gen Xer, but th- they are really quite evolved. They're just different. Yeah. So they're not going to go through the hell of making nothing. I mean, I made like right. nothing. And my school teacher girlfriend, who's now my wife, you know, thankfully supported me. And her parents let me go to her house on Sundays and let me eat. I mean, I was like a poverty level person somehow had like a few suits that I rewore, you know, every day. <laughs> People aren't gonna do that. Right. And so it's important to note that. You know, if you're going to get good people, you've got to pay them. It's it's a big competition out there, these call centers. I mean, people come out of school and make, you know, good money, like 75000 full benefits package, like day one after undergrad. And, you know, it's a pretty good job for someone that's 21, 22 years old. That's a really right. good job. And I hear some people say, well, that's absurd. You know, I made nothing when I started. Well, OK, <laughs> we're well, not just you're not going to get people. So salaries are so key. which, which, you know, I refer people all the time to David to get their comp plans in order and the agreements right in an order. But but, you know. It's probably more of a salary at first. I'm a big believer in incentives. They work. They drive motivation. So whether they're incentive at first to help the overall practice grow, maybe eventually when they start working with a book to help, you know, grow whatever they are influencing or, or working on is really important. You know, a percentage of like the revenue or production or GDC, whatever you call it in your firm, that's way down the road. So right. you're right. People make the mistake of, oh, you've got to go eat what you kill. Maybe I'll give you some crap clients <laughs> to get started. But that's like if they're super evolved, they're like maybe right. leading other advisors, maybe cut them in on a percentage of something so they can get a feel for yeah. you know for that, the variableness, or you know, really getting rewarded when when they drive things, you know, feeling that pain once every what, like eight years on average when the market goes down. Right. But that that's really the industry trend. And I always reference this investment news study. I always buy it every year and I I supply it to our advisors, we kind of give a summary of what's the current trends, what's the ranges, what's medium comfort, all the different roles, including, you know, different advisor roles, whether they're admin, whether they're, you know, kind of a newer advisor where they need guidance to the point where they're, you know, autonomous, they can meet with people on their own. It's really important to have that. And then you hit the other big one that that most don't have is the career path, right? Because that's an intangible. Yeah, like it, 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 it. Most people listening, you, you don't have like a very large corporation that has like a clear uh, career ladder, right? Someone goes to work for a really big firm. It's like, oh, I, I, you know, have these, you know, like you said, bands of income, like maybe the government has, yeah. or or different titles you achieve, or maybe achieving junior partner or partner one day. That's hard for people to see. If you don't have that visually laid out, it's intangible <laughs> for them. They can't see it. So unfortunately, that's where practices lose a lot of people right. because they feel like, hey, I'm getting worked a lot and I have nowhere to go. You know, there's an owner and I'm not, you know, the owner yet and I don't really see <laughs> where else to go. So really having some of the best firms we work with they and, and we've helped them develop this and we got some examples that help them, you know. Kind of copy and paste, but to start from intern all the way to like senior partner of the firm, there's a lot of stages in there. And I think it's good to help clarify, like, what is it at different stages that, you know, someone can graduate to. And it is smart for firms to have organized. What is the compensation typically at those different levels? What is like a salary range? What is a bonus kind of compensation look like? And then unlocking, you know, partnership equity. You want to have heir parents who are going to be internal successors. I mean, they need to learn how to be owners. So you should have a level where maybe they start to get a taste of that. And they start to understand maybe what it is to be a partner in maybe a small piece of the practice or a small percentage of the overall thing. That's huge because I tell you, the people that do that, that get a taste of a partnership, they think completely different. You know, they go from, hey, we should be advertising more to. Hey, we should stop printing stuff because paper costs money. (laughs) And I understand that net profit influences how much I make, so I'm gonna pay attention to that. We're gonna drive revenue and keep our costs down. Suddenly it clicks for them and they act completely different. And that's a big tier. And then maybe you move them up in equity levels and eventually hopefully they they buy it all and they succeed you. But those elements, I mean, there's a lot of mistakes in there, but you've really gotta have that career path. And have a path to equity. I mean, that's a dream for a lot of people to own a business. And if you can show them the path and make that intangible tangible, you'll keep people for a very,
0: very long time. And I think the secret sauce there is not only will you be able to keep your people, your secret sauce that everybody else outside will be trying to figure out is how does he or she keep getting these people? Well, it's a big, small industry. (laughs) At this point, I don't want to say having a career path and a path to partner is bleeding edge. But it's still kind of cutting edge. I mean, it's a pretty unique and easy, yeah. unique competitive advantage to have that path to being a partner. And I don't, again, you think about like the intern or a career path, and we'll talk to teams that they got five or six people total from the you know person who answers the phone to the owner. They're saying, well, we don't really have career tracks. We don't have those roles. Like You have those roles like paraplanner, associate advisor, advisor, write down what you, each of those roles would do. Somebody's doing those things right now. It just happens to be, you know, the same name and a whole bunch of spots on the career track. But as you grow, you're going to start to specialize. And as you specialize, people are eventually going to want to know, like, all right, well, now I'm a pair, pair planner. I graduated from the unpaid intern. But, you know, how long do I need to be in this role? What do I need to do to be successful? And how do I move to the next one? Like, yes, the millennials are not going to be the same as the Gen Xers or the baby boomers, you know, that are hiring mm-hmm. them. But they also – are going to need a different set of skills because they're not starting a business from nothing where they worked yeah. literally and made no money to your point. Yeah. Now they're trying to take a million dollar business or $10 million business and turn it into double that. Like that's just a different skill set. to your point. And it's, it is, yeah, it's operations. And yeah, I mean, they may not necessarily be, you know, the best salespeople, but it's a different set of sales skills. So I just, I go back to that career track and it's probably the only thing when I look at like CPA firms and law firms that I'm like, they've got that on us. Like, yes.
1: Yeah. It's a great point. And, and it's a great one to, you know, try and mimic or, or mirror yeah. that if you know a, a good law firm out there, you know, listening that, yeah, they've got that figured out and we can copy that, you know, in, in like a large firm, like KPMG, I have some friends right. that, that work there. I mean, it's very clear, like the yeah. paths and the different levels of partnership. And I mean, it, it keep those people grind. They work, the the heck out of those people but they'll stay to partner and then they're really rewarded and it's it's a great win so that's what you got to help other people see that are on your team currently to keep them but also to attract other talent yeah that's that that's a winner you'll get people to to want to come in from you know scraping to try and find people (laughs) with the script will flip and then you'll have people you know beating on your door saying i wish i could work
0: here which is pretty cool to see. That's I mean, because everyone, at least the people you're going to want to keep are likely to be kind of achievement oriented. Well, mm-hmm. think about, you know, the stupid games you play on your phone. Like it's always about that next achievement, that next level. It's how they get you to keep coming back. Well, if I'm a new higher intern and I have no idea what the next job is, what the next pay band is, how are you possibly going to expect me to be excited about moving up when I don't know what the next rung of the ladder even looks like, how far away it is? yeah. And and there's good resources out there. I mean, we help clients with this stuff, but you can even look up like the FPA has got resources around this. To your point, local CPA firms are can be analogous enough. Like, yes, they're going to be different, but conceptually, it's the same. I can come in as an unpaid intern at a CPA firm or a law firm, for that matter, big or small, and ask around the water cooler, assuming they still come into the office. like, What does the career track here look like? What are the pay bands? Anybody in that office could probably tell you. We need to kind of get to the same place to some degree in our industry, in these individual firms, which then helps lead to more of that mentoring and training. Because, man, I tell you, when we get a chance from the outside to see these succession plans go sort of Mm -hmm. full circle where, yeah, initially the founder, the Gen 1 folks, were, they were resistant to hiring somebody who was not going to contribute anything. In fact, they were just going to cost me money. Yeah. You know, I bring them out of college and it's going to cost me $65,000 base salary to get you in here and you can't do anything. Like, again, to your point, when I started, well, that doesn't matter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're not you and we're not back then. We're now and this is them. So yeah. you bring them in, you pay them the 65, 70 and you know what they do the first year? Nothing. They maybe help, you know, more administrative duties, mm-hmm. prep with the most administrative things for meetings, but they're sitting there. They're there. They're taking copious notes. They're trying to be useful. There's not a lot that they can do. By year two, you know, if you're systematic about it and you're intentional, by the end of year two, they're actually they're helping prep for the meeting. They're helping debrief after the meeting. They're going and getting things done. By year three, you might actually feel comfortable. You know what? Having them sit down with some D clients. They're tiny clients. You know, they're not complicated cases. And, you know, by the end of year three and four, they've got all all your D clients and doing a pretty good job. But again, they're D clients. But you know what? They're doing good with the D's. Year four or five, I started handing them some of my C clients and some of my simpler B clients. And at that point, you know what? They're still doing a good job. But now they're kind of at capacity because they got like 200 households, you know, 50 good ones that are decent and the other 150 that are there. But they don't require a lot of work. And, you know, what we do is we go by year three or four in this journey, we go bring in the next unpaid intern and you know who we have them shadowing with the now paid intern who we brought in a couple of years ago and they're training their successor. And yeah. eventually they push down the D clients. You push down some of your B client. The cycle continues and you get these firms from the outside talking to their peers at these conferences and saying like, Oh, it's just not fair. You know, the John's firm keeps getting lucky with all these recruits. No, no, no. <laughs> they didn't recruit anybody. They're home growing their talent, but that's a long road to hoe right i mean you've seen people live this journey
1: yeah yeah it, it it is and uh i i think too you know training with smaller clients is like i mean throw people to the fire it, it, <laughs> it you know if they mess up it's not a big deal to the firm but remember just going back remember what i mentioned earlier which again i didn't make up i i learned it from somebody else that if you're going to invest in people you got to invest in people you can right. accelerate the timeline to getting them to talk to clients. And if you look at all the skills, like a lot of you listening have been in the business, you know, a decade, multiple decades, maybe many decades for some of you. And, you know. It's going to take them a long time to learn all the things that you know. They're never going to be as good as you. They're never going to learn all the things that you know. We don't have time for them to waste, to wait for them to know all the things that you know. But how could they learn a small number of things, maybe one topic? And I I love what you mentioned, David, that, you know, sitting in meetings and, and observing, that's the best way to learn. But if they're sitting in the meetings observing, is there a couple of minutes that they could be really good at, that they could discuss with the client. What's right. one topic they could start to take over, and then maybe they do that. Maybe they hold a phone call or a meeting without you with that client to save right. you time and to deliver more value. I mean, there's a big trend there too in the industry of teams working with clients, not so much right. you know this solo like there's one advisor per client, whether it's like a diamond team structure like um, yep. Angie Herbert talks about. I mean that that's really becoming popular in our our larger teams and some practice structures themselves that way. But I, I find that's the way people can get up and running quicker. They can start working right. with clients quicker Then it's OK. Let's add in like one skill or you get another advisor that maybe learns a different area. Some practices have specialist advisors that you don't have to know every single thing. Maybe just know one right. thing really well or two things really well because it's yep. very difficult to get, you know, every single area, financial <laughs> planning, investments, taxes, estate planning. It's a lot. It's a yeah. lot to learn. So keep it simple for them. Just get them up and running with, right. with something and get them active with clients is, is the best thing that, that can happen for all parties involved.
0: And you probably live this, but I know one of the things that I've seen and heard advisors struggle with and personally you know, that I've struggled with and overcome, fortunately, but it's a struggle we all have when training is you get that junior person in the room. And to your point, you have to specialize in you know, one specific area. You still know more than they do. Obviously, you've been doing it for 20 or 30 years, and you intentionally, when the client asks the question about the financial plan or the 401k or whatever it might be, even though you already know the answer, you intentionally, as the founder, defer to the younger person who you're training in the room and say, hey, you know what? John actually is an expert on that. It's kind of what he eats, sleeps, and breathes. John, what are your thoughts on this? But then keeping quiet when you don't say it exactly how I said it. Like, how you coach people to this stuff? Again, yeah. we a higher and, level of that. I,
1: I, I like the approach. I'm a big fan of what you mentioned there, okay. is is this person's the specialist in this topic. Yeah. Like, they're the one in our practice that does this. And I used to do this. I mean, I I most of what I, I've learned, I, I didn't make up. I mean, I was fortunate enough to copy from great people and learn from great people yeah. in the industry. But that's what I would do is say, look, th- this person's the expert. They're better at it than me. Because they deal with it yeah. all the time. I deal with this other stuff over here. So when this comes up, they're going right. to talk about it. In fact, they might have a meeting with you about it. <laughs> it's a great way to, you know, get them involved, hand off a topic, hand off a meeting or an interaction or all, uh, a client relationship altogether because they specialize in, you know, the area that they need. Some I've heard some people use like a, a medical uh, analogy with it that, hey, there's like, you know, knee doctors and, you know, back right. doctors and people that specialize in, in different things and maybe like a generalist. And yeah. it's, hey, you're trying to work on your retirement. That's like a knee specialist. This person's our one that does that. Hey, you need help with this. Right. This is the person that does that. So making them the expert and really building them up in the client's eyes, it helps the client say, right. oh, right. wow, I get to work with a specialist. This is better. But yeah. it builds confidence for the the next gen, which is probably the hardest <laughs> gap I mean they can learn all the skills but like anything right. else you just got to do it a lot to build confidence and it builds them up but also it builds them up in client size which is very important
0: yeah and so last one I'll come to you with because I could talk to you all day about this stuff and we do frankly mm-hmm. but for the sake of this podcast we'll try to keep wrap it up um I told you before we started this I had just talked to uh, an next gen group of advisors who I love yeah. talking to it's not an angle I get to take very often because we work with a lot of Founders on their succession yeah. plans and founders with their compensation plan design and founders with their employment agreements and career tracks, but it's always led by the founders. But I got a chance to talk to this next gen group, and I had a couple actually in the last two weeks. But one of them came back and they literally had lived what you and I were just talking about, where they they were in the meeting, they were being positioned as the expert. The founder was intentionally deferring to them, which they said was, you know, great because they had already bought in, like literally, not just figuratively. But then partway through their explanation to the client. The founder cut them off. I was like, well, not exactly right. And then, you know, sort of stepped on their toes. I don't know. I mean, that's it's tough. I understand as a founder owner, because, you know, you and I both have been there. You've been on both sides of it. What would you coach? I mean, again, I was talking to the next gen advisor. The meeting was already over probably earlier that week, but they were just incredibly frustrated by the effort was there. But then the execution wasn't there. And I can see it from both sides.
1: Yeah, it's a habit, right? That, you know, the founders, they did it all themselves. (laughs) And it's hard to let go. And that's what that's what they have to do. They have to let go. And they have to realize that, you know what, if someone else is 60% as good as me, you know, is that valuable for the client? Is it valuable enough? Yeah, it's not going to be you. But they probably know more than the client and could probably deliver value. <laughs> so that's it. they just right. got to get out of the way because you're not going to be able to grow by yourself. Unless you choose to have just a boutique practice, lifestyle practice, right. keep it small. There, there's nothing wrong with that. It's a lovely practice. They're usually yeah. very profitable, you know, uh, high equity. That's a, a great business. But if you want to grow There's a ceiling of what you can do as an individual, and it's just inevitable you're going to need others, and you've got to get out of the way. And really the only difference in someone doing a million in revenue and 10 million in revenue is at 10 million in revenue, other people are doing most of the work, if not all the work, with clients. The owner-founder is doing very little of that, if any. So that's really the difference that you've got to get out of the way you've got to let other advisors get involved with clients, the quicker you do that, the quicker you'll grow and also the quicker you get that return on the investment in the people. Right. If they are handling blocks of clients or blocks of revenue for your firm, hey, load them up. You know, wouldn't it be great if they're, you know, managing a million dollars in revenue for your firm? You pay them, you know, 250. It's a great living for them. That's a great profit margin for you as an owner. And you duplicate that a bunch of times. That's pretty good business right there.
0: It just, it's so easy for the outside advisor to look at that team. It's at now 10 million, to your point, and the founder is not doing anything client based and they get to be the CEO full time and say, oh, my gosh, I don't know how they've gotten so lucky with recruiting. You know, it's it's like watching these professional athletes and thinking like, well, you know, I don't know how you, Messi was just born with those talents and that footwork like, no, he built it, he trained it, he put in the time and effort in the reps. And I think it's the same thing for the advisors is be intentional about it. Know that, you know, people talk about succession planning, which is the other side of this same coin, frankly, in that it's, you know, it's not a singular event, it's a series of events. In my mind, succession planning, it's a mindset. It's starting mm-hmm. with the end in mind, and it's what yeah. it's the future state of what you just talked about, is when you talk to that firm that he's got, she's got 10, 15 advisors, and they have junior advisors, and there's unpaid interns, and you talk to the founder about, hey, I'd love to list your practice, they're saying retire from what? They could literally do it until they're 75 or 80 without the client experience suffering. That is a pretty cool end result.
1: Yeah, and I think you nailed some great advice for everyone listening there, David, is looking ahead is key. That will be your best guide. Where is this going? It, it'll it help you let like, go It'll help you get others involved. We I mean, actually, as humans, we're going to revert back to what we know, right? Yeah. We're going to revert back to those habits of well, I do it or I have to be the one to do it or they're not good enough. They're only 75 percent as good as me. It has to be 100. Yep. It's it's great advice to look ahead and um, know where you're going and know where you want your people to go. That that will lead you to make the right decisions and get out of your own way to, you know, hold on and really
0: hold on too much and, and not allow <laughs> others to take over. Well, it's always – they say it's nice to you know hire people that are smarter than you and then get out of their way. That sounds great until you actually hire somebody who's smarter than you in a particular area, and all, all of a sudden, your ego is really tested. Can you get out of the way and just let them thrive? And I tell you, like having done it, I've seen some come back from our teams that I'm like, well, damn it. I would have never come up with that, but it's pretty <laughs> cool to see, and then it's like, well, I this should just cool. – the more hands-off I am, the more they get done, and, and you're, then you're there as the CEO to – Get obstacles out of the way, get unstuck. You know, focus on building that career path and the talent below them. But it is an intentional mindset to build a business. To your point, as opposed to a lifestyle practice. And I, I have said it multiple times on this podcast, and I say it to advisors all the time. Just don't get stuck in the middle. Yes. You want to build a lifestyle it, practice, own it. it.
1: It's, yeah. It's got to be one or the other. And, and yeah. you look at we've talked about this before. You look at practices that achieve like over a billion. And, you know, you see so much of the industry with all evaluations yep. you do. I mean, it's either or is the path. You either got to be boutique, work with a small number of, of right. really good clients. Keep it simple. Keep it super profitable. Or you've got to scale through right. others. It's really, yeah, getting caught Period. in the middle is so dangerous. Yep. So you got to choose one or the other. And both are great in their yep. own ways. But you got to choose what you want for yourself.
0: So who do you help coach? If I'm a lifestyle practice, I do not I listen to this podcast. It sounds amazing, but I don't hire and train anybody, but I want to build a wicked lean efficient practice or I want to get I'm an empire builder. Like who's your target client? Who do you help?
1: Yeah, we really help both. It's financial advisors that want to grow is what we do. And we've got some core areas in our model that we've identified that drive growth. And the first area, the fundamental, is doing more with clients. The second area is attracting ideal clients for those that want to scale Mergers and acquisition mastery. I spent a personally spent a lot of my day with top practices right. working on that. But it's really it's so simple in, in a way. This business, it's it's yes, it's very complex. It's hard to do, but you can break down this business in those simple areas and really drive growth through them. So that's re- really where we help. Of course, all the nuances of building a team, leadership, all that stuff we help with, but uh, really breaks down to those three areas. So an advisor that wants to grow, they want to really build their business in either path. We're here to help our you know firms kind of become known as XFA.coach, which happens to be our, our website address. <laughs> There's some free stuff out there. We got a free uh, growth guide is a great first step just to see, you know, what is your potential for your practice? So go check it out. It's free. Just go on XFA.coach and get some free stuff. Get to see what's uh, the potential for your practice.
0: And what is the easiest way for folks to reach you? Is it through the website? Is it on social website media? Website is great.
1: You can always personally email me. I would gladly answer your emails. It's J-O-N, John at X-F-A Coach. So uh, email me anytime if there's like an example or something you heard you want me to send. I mean, uh, we give away everything we've got. You know, if you heard me on webinars or podcasts, I mean, we give away tons of stuff. So just email me if there's something you heard you want or go check out our website and get the free growth guide.
0: Yeah. Well, very cool. I appreciate you carving out the time. I know I asked for 30 minutes and inevitably I was talking to you for at least an hour
1: (laughs) 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 and I'm having to cut us
0: off, but uh, it's a pleasure as always folks listening. Again, if you need resources, you know, check out John, his team there. He's not a one man band. He is building his empire and they're, they're crushing it. They do great work for great clients. Uh, If you need any help from us again, you know, our website successionresource.com. You can check either one of us, frankly, out on LinkedIn. We're both pretty prolific and try to push out just as much educational content as we can try to raise the bar of awareness on our respective areas of expertise. And real quick, John, just as we button this sucker up, you want to talk about the thing we are both jointly involved in, and that is the financial advisor success syndicate.
1: Yeah. FASS. Oh my gosh. It is such a great thing. It's look, it's a free forum to learn you got some of the best in the industry that are just giving away free knowledge i mean there's nothing like this out there so i highly recommend signing up i think yeah. you go to join slash or join.fass.com is the website there and and literally it's like stuff like this but all kinds of different people in the industry lots of learning there's top advisors in there you know john cutton baron tops 100 baron hall of fame advisor is really the kind of yeah. one who got us all together got the founder. so Check it out. It's it's really a great yeah. form. It's already, you know, got some wonderful stuff out there. I, I love being in there and learning. So definitely check that out. Free to join.
0: Yeah, right. Just a chance for everybody to sort of, you know, share our collective wisdom experiences and hopefully give back to the community that's given us all so much. So, yeah, with that, we will wrap things up. Appreciate you joining us all here for our most recent podcast. Stay tuned for future sessions coming up and you'll I assure you, you'll hear from John again. Thanks. And that concludes another episode of SRG Offscript. We hope you found this episode both interesting and valuable. We encourage you to check out our website at SuccessionResource.com or, of course, connect with us on social for the latest happenings at SRG. If you just can't get enough of SRG Offscript, we invite you to join our monthly Q&A webinar, SRG Offscript Live, where we address your questions sparked by the latest podcast topic. Finally, if you enjoyed today's episode as much as we did recording it, please leave us a review and tell your industry friends about us. Your support helps us continue to bring you the best content possible. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and not necessarily represent the views or opinions of succession resource group. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice. Always seek the advice of an expert with any questions you may have. As always, We at SRG, stand ready to help when you're ready.